Hi, my name is Bay Logan, and welcome to the Hong Kong Legends DVD of Spooky Encounters, aka Encounter of the Spooky Kind, uh, the Chinese title of which is Guai Da Guai, which literally means ghost fights ghost. Uh, guai meaning ghost, and Da meaning fight or hit. So it's ghost fights ghost, and it's directed, written, and starring my all-time hero, Sammo Hong. Hong Kong Bo, his Mandarin name is uh, Hong Jin Bao. And this movie has been uh, rightfully uh, described as a groundbreaking film because it combined elements of horror, comedy, and martial arts in probably the most successful package that uh, has ever come out of Hong Kong action cinema. And I was talking about this film to Arthur Wong, who's an uh, award-winning cameraman working on many, many movies like Once Upon a Time in China and Iron Monkey, Purple Storm. We were talking about this film, uh, and he was saying the reaction of the public when it came out it was really... Uh, Astounding. I mean, people had never really seen a film quite like this before. It's kind of an odd choice for a Christmas movie, but it was actually released December 24th, 1980, and uh, was went on, obviously it, it played on into the new year, and uh, became the sixth highest grossing film of 1981. It earned like Hong Kong... Uh, in Hong Kong dollars, 5.7 million at the local box office, and, and has done very well throughout Asia. It also screened to a decidedly mixed response at the Cannes Film Festival that year. And I remember, because um, I was living in England at the time, there was a magazine that I think still exists called Starburst that's kind of a fantasy magazine. And at that time, the whole Hong Kong thing really hadn't hit. And now, of course, there's a huge crossover between the fantasy, science fiction, and comic book audience and the, the Hong Kong action uh, fans. But at that time, there was not. And I remember being very surprised. They actually ran a still from Spooky Encounters and a kind of derogatory comment. I think the thing was horror fans didn't really get the comedy and... The film really wasn't bloody or gory enough for uh, fans steeped in uh, Western horror films. And martial arts fans didn't really appreciate that this was a, a film with some of the most superlative martial arts combat uh, ever captured on film by Sammo Hong and his Hong group. That was good timing then as the, uh, as the credit came up for Sammo and his action team. And now we have, I guess, what is the equivalent of our James Bond opening in that it's like a little sequence. It sets the tone and actually has uh, it's a dream sequence with nothing literally to do with the, the rest of the film except to establish the, the character of Courageous Chung, played by Sammo, who's this uh, rather bumbling simpleton who uh, has a reputation for being the bravest man in town and so therefore finds himself cajoled into all these scary situations. And here we see... Exactly that, with these two burial urns colliding in midair. Uh, the burial urns, that, the traditional pot, was meant to contain the ashes and the bones after cremation of a Chinese person. But also the spirit would reside there as well, which is why you have a, a sequence there where the two urns were speaking to each other. This movie inspired many subsequent comedy, action, martial arts, horror films, uh, among them Miracle Fighters, directed by Yun Peng. And uh, they really played fast and loose with the... Uh, with the, the running around, these burial lads were physically running around in that film. And it's one of the burial lads, one of the many different icons which you see, which are unique, I think, to the, the Hong Kong supernatural movie. Um, and though this film is indeed groundbreaking, Samo, like everybody, had influences that led him to, to make uh, spooky encounters. And uh, he himself cites the ghost stories that he and his fellow classmates would be told at the Peking Opera School by uh, his instructors there. And they would, obviously these would be stories based on the folklore of southern China. And uh, they were typical campfire tales that left quite an, an uh, indelible impression on the young Samo. Also, there had been in the past films, uh, martial arts action pictures, which had elements of um, you know, supernatural in them. 
Uh, Samo himself had worked on King Hu's Touch of Zen, which very successfully brought in the idea that you could have a, a martial arts action film with a ghost element. That's also, Touch of Zen is, is one of the primary influences of Choi Hark's later A Chinese Ghost Story. And um, there was a lesser-known film called The Comet Strikes, which was directed by Law Wei. Uh, it's a Golden Harvest film starring Nora Mao, Miao Kersiu from the old uh, Bruce Lee movies. It's a swordplay film, but it's very atmospheric and has about it kind of the feel of a, um, a Hammer film done Hong Kong style. And uh, Samo was doing the action for the film. And uh, also, if you look at that movie, some of the imagery is very uh, similar to the imagery that he would use in his later comedy horror pictures. As, as ever in Hong Kong, where really credit is assigned almost at will, even though the film is directed, uh, Law Wei is the director of credit, I think Samo actually had a lot of influence on uh, The Comet Strikes, which is a, quite a hard, a film, as a film, is quite hard to locate these days, but if you get the chance to take a look, I mean, it's quite a, a neat film for its era. Um, it, it has been said that uh, Spooking Houses was the first martial arts action, a Hong Kong martial arts action, to show San Da. San Da meaning basically spirit boxing. San meaning spirit and Da meaning fighting or hitting. So Sandar is like a um, traditional Chinese style uh, of combat whereby the practitioner summons various spirits to give him supernaturally enhanced power in, t in a fight. There had actually been an earlier film made at Shaw Brothers by uh, Lao Gala, Liu Charliang, called Spirit Boxer, which was made in 1975. And uh, this film had very similar elements to... Uh, to Spook Encounters, though it was played slightly less for laughs than Samo's movie is. Um, the, I think the reason that probably Spiritual Boxer has not been uh, more highly regarded is that, like all of the Shaw Brothers Library, it really hasn't been seen widely since its release uh, in the theaters. The, the, films of the, the Shaw Brothers Library films have never played on video, never really played on television. Uh, uh, there's been like selective releases in in, in America, and blurry videotape copies still circulate. But very few people have seen Spiritual Boxer, and as a result, Spook Encounters, quite rightfully, has taken its place as being like the, the first film of this particular genre. Though I would say also, if we're crediting Lao Garlung, that uh, Legend of the Seven Gold Vampires, which was a bona fide Hong Kong Hammer Films co-production, uh, is a, um, another film that perhaps influenced uh, Samo in terms of bridging the gap between martial arts and horror. And here we are in the, the tea house, Samo there, and on his immediate right is Yun Mo, one of his uh, opera school brothers. Just drop that name in there before we move on here to our first supernatural sequence. And we're in a haunted house, and uh, this is a real uh, piece of Chinese folklore, which is if you go into a haunted house at midnight during Ghost Festival, and uh, you go through this ritual of peeling an apple, um, you, you, you by if you can peel the whole apple then the ghost will not come, and if you, if you fail, then the ghost will materialize. In this case, uh, through the mirror. It's worth pointing out that the whole film takes place during Guaiji, or, or Ghost Festival, because this is obviously is not a, a, a holiday or a, an event that's observed elsewhere in the world, but I mean in, in China and in Hong Kong, during the seventh lunar month, which is normally August, they, uh, they, there's, a ceremony, there's a time of year called a, a Ghost Festival, uh, during which time the, the gates of hell will open and the spirits of the dead will walk the earth. And uh, the interesting thing about the Hong Kong or the Chinese view of supernature compared to the attitude we have normally in the West is that in Hong Kong people genuinely believe uh, that there are supernatural beings, that, that the supernatural is a very real force in their lives. And you see them during a ghost festival burning paper money and offering prayers to the dead and their various rituals to be observed during that uh, part of the year. Um, 
So this film set during that period, which is why uh, Samo's character, who's a car carriage driver, has very little work because uh, people are not going out on the streets because there are so many ghosts around. And so he has time to sit with his buddies and get cajoled into uh, or tricked into uh, undertaking these various um, challenges to prove that he is indeed, as he tells everybody, the bravest man in town. And here we have the old Abbott and Costello thing with uh, the buddies actually providing fake ghosts and uh, subsequently the real supernatural presence making itself known in a few minutes' time. Um, and should, when we see Samo's close-up, uh, I just want to mention one thing. Uh, the scar on Samo's that runs between Samo's nose and mouth as questions I always get asked. How did Bruce Lee die? How tall is Van Damme? Uh, does Jackie Chan is Jackie Chan really do all his own stunts? And how did Samo get that scar? And I think I've talked about it on previous uh, DVDs, but I'll just mention it again now that uh, it's actually from a, a, a real street fight, and he was uh, had a the end of a a Coke bottle smashed into the broken end of a Coke bottle smashed into his face. And actually, if you look at it, it is actually circular. It's about the same size as uh, the broken off end of a Coca Cola bottle would be. So I don't know if that's a good, if that's an ad for a, a promotion for Coke or not. But that's how it happened. That's from the horse's mouth. There's Yun Mo. And uh, this was actually a rare chance for him to show his uh, comic uh, abilities because normally he's cast, he's a very good uh, acrobat and uh, martial arts exponent. He plays the, uh, the guy, the monkey fighting expert in uh, Magnificent Butcher and has a, a really cool fight sequence in that film. And he's um, normally a stuntman action coordinator. He's never really a leading man as such. And doesn't often do comedy, so this is like a, an unusual chance to see him uh, spreading his wings a bit as an actor. Uh, at this particular time, it was in that Samo was uh, already a uh, leading light at Golden Harvest. He'd established himself very early as a heavy in the films, as a, a bad guy, as a suitable opponent for various martial arts heroes of the day. And then he became a, uh, an excellent choreographer and eventually an action director and then a director in his own right. And when he was casting films, he quickly put together a troupe of uh, stuntmen and martial artists and character actors and worked with them again and again. And to a certain extent, if he's working in Hong Kong, he's still working with pretty much the same people. So you have uh, all of the, the, the major lights of uh, Hong Kong cinema uh, have their own group around them, which is called like uh, a ban which is like a group. So you have Samo is uh, Samo Hong, so his group is Hong Ga Ban. And uh, Jackie Chan is Sing Long, so he has like Sing Ga Ban. Lao Ga Leung had like Lao, Lao Ga Ban. And so Samo has like his, his Hong Ga Ban, and uh, a lot of those people are still working with him to this day. We should talk a bit about the, um, the background to the, the film in terms of uh, the, the, the supernatural and in terms of uh, Taoism, which is... Uh, the tradition from which a lot of the mythology that we see here is drawn. Uh, I myself, not a great expert on these matters, but so many Hong Kong films have elements reflecting Chinese folklore and Chinese culture that I think it's at least worth you know, spelling out the ground rules. I mean, there really are three great traditions of um, thought uh, in, in Chinese history, at least as far as they apply to the kind of films that we're watching here. Uh, there's Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism. Uh, Buddhism, uh, though there's some uh, question about this, uh, is probably the, the thing that could more nearly be described as a religion, being as it does provide a set of ethics and um, a philosophy about what happens to you when you, in this life and what happens to you in the next life. Uh, you also have Confucianism, which is really a set of practical values describing the responsibilities one has to the family and to the nation. And then you have Taoism, which is 
for its era, for the for the age in which it was created, I guess it was kind of like a new age holistic system of thought, incorporating the supernatural, lifestyle, health, um, all different elements of uh, living in and, and, and of the natural world. And uh, the, the Taoist masters were actually the first advocates of uh, feng shui, which is obviously very hip now in the U.S. and elsewhere, which is a, a method of uh, creating um, or laying out buildings and, and, and structures in such a way that they conform with certain rules of uh, feng shui, which is literally means wind, feng, and shui means water, of wind and water. So the the Taoist masters, of which uh, there are actually two, a good and a, a good Taoist master and an evil Taoist master, were in their day seen as um, experts on all kinds of different eclectic subjects, and also uh, people potentially with supernatural powers. So we uh, we get to see in this movie, Samo draws on that rich tradition, and it's primarily the Taoist tradition. This character here, Master Tam, is uh, Samo's employer in the film. He's played by this fellow called Ha Wong. And uh, he, Ha Wong is a real-life martial arts expert, and he's been used in any number of films, but he's almost always the, the, mis the guy who's in a mismatch with the leading man. Even though he has some very good skills of his own, he's always the guy brought in to uh, allow the hero to show off his superiority. And you can see him fighting Samo in The Odd Couple and The Victim. And uh, he has a funny little martial arts duel with, Michael, uh, no, with Sam Hoy in Private Eyes, which was action choreographed by, by Samo. Um, and he is, uh, this, this film, I think, probably gives him his best uh, acting and action role. And so uh, it is worth uh, memorizing, noting him because you see him again and again, and he really is typecast uh, as, as the guy that gets beaten in the first reel to show off the ability of the leading guy. And here we are at the, uh, everybody having their uh, daofu, uh, having their, their, their tofu. And uh, again, I mean, uh, certain the, the reference to certain customs, certain things that you should or should not do during the ghost festival. And uh, these ghost stories setting up Samo's character because as he's told about the, uh, the different uh, occasions, that character Abi, uh, Chan Wang Ai, the guy on the right there, who's uh, an action choreographer of some renown. And uh, his, uh, his brother is uh, Peter Chan, Chan Long, who plays the evil Taoist master in, in this movie. Um, and uh, I think uh, Samo is somebody who is constantly looking for uh, both new concepts and, and new faces, new people to bring out in films. And uh, in this movie, and what, what he will do that's really interesting is find people who are known for a certain, in a certain, uh, in a certain tradition, a certain way, and try to reinterpret them on screen by giving them a, a role that's kind of against type. And uh, later in the film, we meet, of course, we see Lam Ching Ying, who uh, was a, another opera school student, not from the same school as Samo, but uh, somebody who was respected as a, a practitioner of the Chinese opera. And uh, Jack, Samo really championed his career and was at this stage looking for a role that would really define him. And uh, it gets half the way there because you've got Lam Ching Ying in a supernatural movie, but it was not till later in the film Mr. Vampire, Keung Si Chen San, Keung Si Chen San, that um, Samo actually uh, cast uh, Lam Ching Ying as a vampire buster, as like the, the Chinese version of Peter Cushing, which became the role with which he would be synonymous. And uh, two wonderful character actors here enjoying a peep show outside of uh, the, the, the home, <laughs> Samo's own apartment, their own home. So uh, it's, it's setting up the, uh, the fact that he's the cuckolded husband. And this is something that is a recurring th theme in, in Samo's movies, that he's, um, his character is, is tricked 
by the women in the movie, and eventually they, the women that is, get their comeuppance. And you see something happening here, which uh, is, uh, I guess, is not a, a major breakthrough in terms of narrative construction, but certainly was interesting. The uh, in a few moments, uh, Samo, in, in his suspicion that uh, his wife is being unfaithful, he discovers the shoe, and the shoe belongs to Master Tam, who is uh, Samo's boss, who's the the guy who's fooling around behind Samo's back. And the shoe, the shoe actually uh, has a key part to play in the very end of the film. Uh, so this sets it up, and, and Sam is like carrying the, sh- the shoe around for the whole movie, tied to his back. And you're wondering, what the heck? You know, why on earth? You know, why do we we let the shoe go in the in the you know second reel? And then at the end, it pays off. And I, again, uh, for if you if you look at the other movies of this era of the 1980s, it was really interesting to see Samo looking at new ways to tell stories and and, and new levels of um, storytelling in Hong Kong movies. Because it has to be said that through the 70s and the 80s, a lot of the martial arts pictures were really a very thin, very mm, basic, relatively poorly executed excuse for um, action. That's a nice shot. You see the the blade next to the the shoe, and uh, it's. Uh, it's obviously the, the shoes are the wrong size, and so he's going to carry it for the for the rest of the movie. And it's it's kind of the the dark version of Cinderella. He has to find out the person. He has to find the person um, to whom the shoe belongs to find out who's been sleeping with his wife. And um, I'm always asked about. I'm talking about the things people always ask me about is the way that women are always abused abused in Samo's movies. And I, I'm not going to really be an apologist for this. I mean, it's probably a, I'm a huge admirer of his work. It's the element that I find the hardest to reconcile with him as a person. But his attitude and what he said to me is that um, he's an equal opportunity uh, filmmaker in that in his movies, everybody gets abuse. I mean, men and women, children, dogs, cats, doesn't matter. And people select um women and say, oh, it's terrible. It's like when people ask, why does Quentin Tarantino have violence in film? He just says, well, this is something that uh, that is an element of filmmaking, just like music and special effects. Here's uh, Taipo, who's a wonderful character actor, the guy with the glasses there. He's actually playing the role normally played by uh, Dean Sheck. Or Sek Dean. I guess, I guess Dean Sheck wasn't available for this movie, so uh, Taipo got to play this role of the guy with the little Fu Manchu goatee and the glasses. A little just side side story about Taipo. I mean, he's been in like everything uh, from uh, End of the Dragon onwards. But um, a couple of years ago, I was involved with developing what was going to be like a Michelle Yeoh workout tape for Michelle Yeoh, and uh, we were uh, we had a big meeting with all of the um, p- people who were going to be involved with doing it. And I'm always amazed that Hong Kong, uh, both you know physically and and uh, culturally, can sometimes really be an island. And there can be things that are happening in the big wide world, and particularly in the U.S., where you think everybody knows about this. And then you talk to Hong Kong people about it, and culturally there's really no crossover. And I remember a funny story sitting there and saying to um, everybody, well, you know, it's going to be just like the thing Billy Blanks is doing. And they looked at me blankly, and I said, you know, it's going to be like uh, Tai Bo. And uh, one of the guys who's a famous director, I won't say his name, he says, Tai Bo, you mean the, uh, the character actor? And another guy says, the, oh, you mean the subway station, the MTR station, because there's actually an MTR station called Typo. So I really had to um, spend a bit of time backstorying and telling people, hey, there's this thing, and it's uh, very popular in the States, and it's got nothing to do with this guy. But he's, um, he's still around. Uh, his last, he had a very nice acting role in a, an art, kind of an arty, dramatic Taiwanese film called Taxi that played at the last Cannes Film Festival. And there was like a color flyer with a photograph of all the different actors involved with the film. And there he was. So um, he's still among us. And uh, he's, uh, you can see him in that film. Here we introduce uh, the most 
extreme and exotic form of Taoism known to man, and uh, our bad Taoist master, play, uh, Chin Hoi, Master Chin Hoi, who's played by Peter Chan Long. And uh, fans of Bruce Lee, of course, will be familiar with his work. He uh, was one of the, the main stunt players on uh, Bruce Lee's stunt team. You probably, in terms of an acting role, you can see him most prominently as one of the two Japanese fighters who get to eat glass in uh, Fist of Fury. I mean, he's the guy with the big hair who gets beat up at the beginning. His nickname is Malgu, which means um, unfortunate. And uh, he's a fine character actor. And like, ev like many people in Hong Kong films, he, he, he's had this really long career. I mean, you see him in Fist of Fury, and then he's, he, 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 he was uh, in Prodigal Son. He plays like this kind of goofy-toothed, bumbling sidekick to uh, Yun Biu. And he plays almost the same character opposite um, Jet Li, Le Ling Ki, years later in Fong Sayuk. So he's typical of the uh, career arc of Hong Kong actors who seem to be around forever. The last movie I remember seeing him in was a movie called The Mad Stylist, which came out in 1997. And it was a movie starring um, Michael Wong. And uh, it was like a modern remake, a Hong Kong remake of Sweeney Todd. It was about this barber who's killing people and I remember you know to, to, for my sins I had to write the advertising copy for the poster for Mad Stylist and I think we had the the first cut as the deepest was the one that we ended up using and a quick mention of the the other guy here uh, Chin Toy played by Chung Fat who's like the good wizard in the movie and this I think is his career best performance as this eccentric but benevolent Taoist uh, master um, kind of a bit of a, a stretch to say that these two are brothers. But actually, if you look at uh, Chan Long and you look at his real brother, uh, Abi, who we saw earlier in the film, um, they look about as much alike as, uh, as uh, Chan Long and, uh, and uh, Chung Fat. So um, I guess it's <laughs> truth is stranger than fiction. On the right is Wu Ma, uh, a, another key player in, the, in Samo's team. He was a, a, a he's a director. He poor bugger directed me in the movie Circus Kids, and um, so I've worked with him. He was a student of um, Shaw Brothers veteran Chang Chit, and uh, he directed a film called Dead and the Deadly. He acted in and directed that movie, which Samo produced, which was very much in the style of Spooky Encounters. And uh, he also is still around. I mean, his face as he got older, I think I was writing about him one day, I said that he has this wonderful face that's reminiscent of an apple left to wrinkle in the hot sun. Uh, and it's, it's like he's like that as he gets older. His face has a great character. I don't know that he necessarily was ever one of the greatest directors in uh, Hong Kong cinema, but he's always been working, and he's certainly one of the greatest character actors. I mean, you may remember him in Prodigal Son. He has this wonderful big red nose, and he plays this guy with a fake iron fist who goes to challenge Yun Biu. But uh, he is was, was prolific, and I mean, uh, not, not a screen fighter. Though actually he did have one movie called Manchu Boxer, which starred Lao Wing, Tony Lau, from uh, the Bruce Lee movies, and they tried to launch him as a martial arts star in his own right. And the first scene of the movie, we see him fighting a, um, a Manchu uh, lord, and the Manchu lord is played by Wu Ma. And that's actually one of the few times that I've seen him fight. The movie I did with him, he was meant to. His character was meant to fight, but it was it was almost always a double, as indeed it was when I was fighting. So it was like, as it was when Donnie Yen was fighting. So Circus Kids was like, where doubles dare. And here we have the introduction of um, Joan Fat's character. I, I really like his role here because even though he's a good guy, he, he's really. A, somebody said to me once that a lot of the time, anybody who practices sanda or ghost boxing for any any serious period of time, their character does become kind of weird. And this is obviously played out here by his character. And it's, it's not as over the top as you see 
um, many kind of oddball characters in Hong Kong films. But there's something really not quite right with his reactions and the way he's talking and the way he's reacting to the world around him. And I think it's a really nicely judged performance. He's a terrific um, martial arts exponent. He also was um, a, an opera student, again, not from uh, Yu Jim Yun, the master of Jackie Chan and Samuel Hong. I think he was also with Fan Fok Fa, who was a female uh, opera master, and she was the instructor of Lam Ching Ying. And you can see him. He has a great fight with Samuel and Magnificent Butcher, playing this guy, Crazy Cat. He has, like, a cat style. And he also had a nice role in Ronnie Yu's, one of Ronnie Yu's early films, The Trail, which... Another was another one of these movies made at Golden Harvest that kind of followed in the spook encounters vein of matching martial arts and horror um, together and comedy together. Um, and again, great longevity. He was uh, you can see him. He's one of the opponent, the guy with the mustache and the combat gear who fights Michelle Yeoh at the end of Yes, Madam. And if we go back to the beginning of his career, he was then to the dragon. He's one of the guards, you know, who gets beaten up by one of the guards who must prove themselves worthy to remain among us. And he gets beaten up. He gets killed by Bolo. And um, years later, he would be, in this movie, he plays somebody who has a genuine skill in spirit boxing and sandar. And years later, he's in Last Hero of China uh, with Jet Li. At the very beginning, there's like three sandar masters who um, fight Jet Li. And he's one of them. And I think one of the other ones is, is, is Ha Wong. Um, but in that case, they're kind of fake. And there's always been like different takes on, on spirit boxing. It's either been... Uh, played straight and as it is in this film that's a genuine phenomenon it can actually enhance somebody's physical prowess or in films like Ninja in the Dragon's Den um, Once Upon a Time in China 2 much is made of the fact that it's fake and that the, the real martial arts master has the skill to defeat the charlatans I should mention that the money you saw changing hands just then was, um, was hell money and uh, there's a, a custom in China that when uh, somebody dies you basically burn things for them to enjoy in the next life and obviously Chinese people are very practical, so they don't burn real uh, money and real cars and real TV sets and all these wonderful luxury items, but they have replicas made, and their hell money is basically denominations and thousands and millions of dollars uh, with the king of hell written on, the, on the, the money. And you burn that, and this is actually money that they can spend in the next life. So it's part of the whole ritual of um, helping uh, your uh, rel relatives, your loved ones, to have... Um, a, a better time when they're in the next life and also a better rebirth in the future when they come back into this world. Uh, all part of the, the complicated cosmology of Chinese culture. Now, Samo, having established uh, the, uh, this horror comedy genre to the, to the level that he did with uh, Spooky Encounters, uh, returned to the material later as a, more as a producer than as a director. Uh, maybe he felt that it would be hard for him to uh, capture the same success that he had had with Spooky Encounters. And so he produced Dead and the Deadly, which Wumar directed, um, and he produced uh, the Mr. Vampire series, of which the first film is very much the best, which was directed by Ricky Lau and uh, starred Lam Ching Ying. Uh, he produced Hocus Pocus, uh, Spooky Spooky, and it wasn't until 1989, which is like almost 10 years later, that he directed an official sequel to Spooky Encounters, which was called um, Spooky Encounters 2, or Guai Sat Guai, which means Ghost Kills Ghost. And uh, even though that film does have merit, I mean, it really is not um, as anywhere near as memorable as the, the first film. So maybe Samo was right to hold off for as long as he did. And here we see our first clear view of a... Taoist ritual and uh, the altar, which is uh, very important in the practice of Taoism. And uh, if you, you use the wonderful DVD freeze frame, you can look at it in some, uh, in some uh, detail and see that the elements there are like a lamp, 
there's two candles burning and um, they have um, bowls of tea and sticky rice and water and uh, one of the tenets of uh, Taoism is that there's a balance in all things between yin and yang which is like the two the light and dark male and female hot and cold um, you know angry and passive and that the best result in life is when you have an accord between the two elements and so the in on the on the altar the bowl of tea represents the yin element and the water the yang and the sticky rice is apparently represents the union of these two energies you also have incense or hung which is being burnt which is a, a common element you see throughout any tradition of uh, china of any of the kind of esoteric traditions the burning of incense um, and you normally burn incense in, in threes, three being an important number, heaven, earth, and man. And you have weapons. Um, among them are various swords. Here you see Chan Long is holding a wooden sword with uh, various ideograms. Or, and and the, the paper, the yellow paper that's on the end of it is called a fu, which is a, a special parchment onto which magic uh, is written, magic uh, characters are written. And these can invoke all kinds of reactions. And they're most normally seen in this kind of movie on the forehead of uh, a hopping vampire or a Kungsi, which is a, um, a kind of a unique interpretation of the vampire myth that we see in, in Chinese uh, horror movies and martial arts action horror films. And uh, it's obvious when Samo uh, set about making the, researching the film and working on the movie with his normal thorough approach, he brought in genuine Taoist masters, feng shui masters, and masters of uh, this kind of Sandar practice and asked them to instruct him and the, you know, the set decorator and the, uh, the production designer to make sure that everything really conformed to the way that Taoism was actually practiced in the, uh, in the real world. And again, I keep coming back to this, that even in this age of the internet and computers and uh, people landing on the moon and all the other wonderful phenomena of the, this n now this new century, is that I find from living in Hong Kong that Hong Kong people at heart remain very Chinese and very um, superstitious. And they genuinely believe that uh, the elements, the, the, the things that we see in this film, not only um, that they, even if they don't exist today, that they did exist at one time in Chinese history and may still exist in some very remote part of China or elsewhere in Asia. And I don't know if in uh, the West, if you look at our comparative myth, like the vampires and the mummies and all these other things, that this, um, the same, there's the same belief by people that this is something that's really there. I think people now increasingly dismiss um, old legends as folklore, as like um, primitive interpretations of natural phenomenon. But in the, in, in the East, I, I don't see that at all. I see people genuinely, uh, friends of mine who you would really think would um, not to be condescending, but you think they would know better. But they say, no, this is something that really exists, and, and you make fun of it at your peril. And uh, certainly whenever they make these films in Hong Kong, there are certain rituals that are undertaken in terms of having a blessing on the set and following certain procedures, and they don't take it lightly. I mean, one movie I would say in the West where um, there certainly uh, w was taken very seriously at the time that it was made and has had the same quality uh, of, of, um, of legend about it would be The Exorcist, where apparently there was very strange phenomenon happening. And here we have our first view in a, in a Hong Kong martial arts movie of, of this era, anyway, of the Kung Si, or the, 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 our ver their version of the vampire. 
Um, and I'm always, uh, people are always asking about, you know, why the Hong Kong vampires really look the way they do, why they dress like that. Well, uh, most dead bodies, uh, dead people, were dressed in the most uh, extravagant clothing available. So that even if it wasn't, if the person was not a courtier or a rich man or a, a Mandarin in their in their real life, when they were reincarnated, they would be reincarnated to uh, a better destiny, and they'd have a prosperous time in hell. So here you see, as with many of the the vampires that we see in uh, Hong Kong action films, this uh, corpse is uh, dressed in. Uh, very nice robes, which have obviously decayed from the time that they've been in their coffin. And uh, you notice the coffin shape for Hong Kong coffins or Chinese coffins is very different to that uh, we see in the West. And it's really meant to imply a seed uh, which is being laid into the ground toward the time of the, the rebirth of the deceased person. So um, the, the, vampires, uh, is, it, the vampire basically is... The use of the word vampire is, is misleading because I don't know that blood-sucking is necessarily a key element here. And when we're in the West, we talk about vampires, we're really talking about Count Dracula and uh, people drinking blood. I think this is really nearer to what we would call a zombie, which is a reanimated corpse. And again, this is um, something that people genuinely believe, that in um, remote places in China, the, um, the dead body would be reanimated by virtue of having a, uh, a parchment or a fu attached to it and that then it would um, be transported from, from one place to another. And the reason that you'd need to transport the corpse is because uh, traditionally, to ensure uh, benefits for the surviving family, a, a dead person had to be buried in their hometown, and uh, there had to be certain rituals performed to appease his or her spirit. So if the person happened to die in a distant place, it was I suppose it was difficult to transport the person back. So they used to, in the films you see this, in Mr. Vampire you see it, these Taoist masters ringing a bell to lead these hopping uh, vampires from, from place to place. And the reason that they hop and the way that the limbs are so stiff is because, of course, having been dead for some period of time, rigor mortis has set in. And uh, even though probably it was not described in those terms and, and maybe in Chinese um, medicine, there was a different term for that phenomenon of the body's muscles tightening up after death. They certainly were familiar with it, and so there was the logic that if um, a body was reanimated, having been dead for a period of time, it would not have the normal bending in the joints that you have from a, a real live person. But and there we have a good example of the, the stiffness that set in, and uh, it lends itself to um, a lot of comedy because the uh, the it, you often see the, the ghost hopping along and cannot go over the relatively low um, uh, threshold of a door. If there's like a, a ledge there, they couldn't hop over because they couldn't hop to any great height. Um, you actually had seen uh, these uh, versions of these zombies in earlier films, uh, very old black and white movies, in fact. There's a film called Moving Corpse in the Old House, which was made in 1939. And in 1957, there was a movie called The Corpse Drivers of Changsi, which um, really referred back to this old legend um, in, the, in, in the style of those films at that time. There was actually one of the Wong Fei Hong film series, which was going to be Wong Fei Hong and the Mystery of the Haunted House. W apparently, it was never completed, but had it been finished, it was going to sh you would have seen uh, the martial arts master Wong Fei Hong, as played by the late great Quan Ta Hing, would have been fighting with um, zombies. But the film never completed, and I guess the footage is lost to time, as in fact many of the films are in the, the Wong Fei Hong film series. And here's the increasingly acrobatic uh, zombie, and uh, Samo um, naturally terrified. And this kind of this whole thing of uh, 
of uh, a remote of a wizard controlling an, a third party by remote control is a recurring uh, image that you see in films. You saw that in Spiritual Box, the Lagarlo film, and he also did the, use the same thing in, in Martial Arts of um, the Legendary Weapons of Shaolin, which is another film which shows the uh, the clash between experts of the um, spiritual boxing and masters of real life martial arts fighting. Um, and obviously in this instance we see a uh, the, the, the zombie doesn't only have um, the power to hop along, but even though its body must say absolutely straight, because it's supernaturally enhanced, it has um, limited power of flight as well. The dawn's about to break and uh, I think it's a truism of, uh, of supernatural beings around the world that at daybreak they must return to their to their to their coffin or to their native soil and uh, i guess it's true the fact that uh, there are many people like myself in day by day we don't believe in ghosts but by night if you're alone in a spooky house or if you're in the graveyard you start questioning <laughs> what you believe in and what you don't believe in and the most uh, myths i think were told created around the campfire where people were scared of the dark beyond the the ring of the flame and um, the coming of the dawn meant that the fears would, would die away. So you have a, a theme that uh, all manner of creatures, the Western European vampire being foremost among them, uh, by daylight cannot, um, cannot survive. So uh, they're creatures, literally creatures of the night. And there's really a kind of deus, this, this plot point is kind of deus ex machina, that uh, you have uh, uh, Wumar turns up and, 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 and Samo, courageous Jung is in such a state of, of, of shock that he agrees to uh, a second night in the uh, in the haunted uh, in the haunted house, and uh, evidently anybody who had been through the experience that Samo has done um, would not go back there for uh, any money. And of course, that's a recurring problem you have with horror movies: is that if people actually behave sensibly and at the first sign of something supernatural, head for the hills like any of us would do, you don't have a movie. So you, I mean, this was something I think that they um, played up in uh, in Scream and these all these other films that are kind of making fun. Uh, of horror movies is the fact that people have to behave in a really illogical and, and stupid manner for, for even to have a horror movie. Here we are introduce another uh, of the unique aspects of uh, the Chinese supernatural is that uh, these chicken eggs thrown at uh, a vampire uh, will it's one of the weapons that you can use. It's like the equivalent of garlic. And uh, here you see this rather unscrupulous uh, guy runs out of uh, chicken eggs and he puts duck eggs in instead. And of course, duck eggs don't have the same effect. But he doesn't know that uh, Sam is going to be fight using these to fight uh, vampires. I guess he just thinks he's going to make breakfast. So it's not such a big deal. You see the same thing happening in Mr. Vampire. Uh, another uh, weapon that can be used against vampires is sticky rice. But regular rice will not work. And uh, the same thing happens that the guy runs out of sticky rice and and gives um, the guy regular rice as well, mixes it together, so that you don't really have um, the full force. And uh, a few moments ago, you saw Samo turning over to a butcher's shop with a black puppy. And um, I'm sorry to say that another weapon that can be used against uh, supernatural beings is the blood of a black dog. And the dog has to be black. So um, Samo's taking this poor beast there, uh, and uh, unfortunately, in these unenlightened times, I have to say, you know, you get the thing at the end of Hollywood movies, we guarantee that no animal was hurt during the making of this film. Unfortunately, this time in Hong Kong, people were like, kind of, we guarantee that uh, animals and probably stuntmen were hurt during the making of this movie. 
Um, and again, I'm not going to be an apologist for um, the, you know, the culture of Hong Kong, but the reality is that uh, animals have had a pretty rough shake of it. I mean, uh, in southern China, all manner of animal was good for the pot. Uh, dogs and cats could be cooked, and uh, snakes and all manner of creatures. And, the, um, and, and in the films, I mean, in, in Snake and the Eagle Shadow, you had the famous scene when they had a cat really fighting with a, a snake which is something I think you wouldn't, obviously, evidently and rightly, would not be allowed in a, in a Hollywood production. And, and later in this movie, we see a, a chicken, uh, which, um, unfortunately, his time has come. Uh, you have to bear in mind that many times uh, in, in, in Chinese households, children's growing up, they would buy a chicken at the beginning of the week and uh, fatten it up, and then it would be killed. Uh, the kids themselves would be given a chopper and said, go out and, and kill the chicken, Sonny. So it was, no, it was really no big deal for a a fowl to um, meet its end. So now we, we have this scene where this poor chicken gives its life uh, in the name of entertainment because uh, another element of the... Uh, that's, that's exactly the same reaction I'm having here, by the way. But the, uh, the another element of the, the Taoist ritual is the, the, the chicken blood. And the, the chicken has to be killed in a certain way for the blood to be effective. So it's rather similar to kosher, which is uh, obviously the Jewish tradition whereby meat has to be prepared in a certain way uh, you know, if you're practicing, uh, if you're a practicing Jew, you have to. The meat has to be prepared in a certain way, and the same in Islam and various other traditions. So, um, obviously, the, all of these, there seems to be a worldwide a um, certain social conventions among them that there has to be um, a manner in which uh, meat is prepared, or in this case, in which the chicken is killed to add further power to the already awesome hopping abilities of the of the vampire. So Samo now is back in the haunted house with his bag of tricks, which he hopes will keep him safe. And uh, so let me, I should talk a bit about hopping vampires because uh, one, there was an occasion when a hopping vampire um, saved my bacon. And it wasn't, I wasn't um, engaged in a kung fu fight at the time. But a few years ago, I was invited to give a lecture to the Asia Society. And they're a very highfalutin bunch um, based in the States and in Hong Kong and, and in Asia, as the name suggests. I believe that uh, the Asia Society was founded by Woodrow Wilson. Um, uh, it could have been Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know. It was an, it was an American president, anyway. And uh, it, was, it was set up to promote better understanding between East and West. And they decided to have a lecture about Hong Kong film and, for whatever reason, invited me to, to give it uh, two lectures. The first one was going to be about martial arts and swordplay movies, which is really my forte, so I you know, had no problems doing this. But they also wanted me to talk about the other genres of Hong Kong filmmaking, namely drama, horror, and comedy. So um, the second one, I really had to, to put one out of the bag to entertain these folks, uh, who all of whom were very highly educated and wealthy Hong Kong people. And uh, I had to come in and, and, and say, you know, well, today we're going to have uh, drama, horror, and comedy, much like uh, my wedding night. And um, the, to, my, to my horror, the, the drama died an absolute death. And, and I had thought that these people would really be interested in, in the dram dramatic scenes from films like, you know, All About Along and these films, The Moment of Romance, all, all the dramatic stuff from films that I had chosen. That I realized uh, to my cost that really drama, dramatic scenes really do not work outside of the context of the film in which they, uh, they, they take place. So if you take a dramatic sequence and show it just as an example of good acting, it falls flat, as indeed um, all the scenes fell flat. So I was getting my flop sweat and was about to you know, head out the back, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just, 
I'll steamroll through the horror as fast as I can and get to the comedy because I was leading into the comedy with this great sequence that incidentally was choreographed by Samo, which is the fight in the kitchen from um, Private Eyes with, with Michael Hoy fighting with uh, this other guy. And I thought, well, this is, you know, by the time I get the comedy, comedy's universal, it'll really work. And um, this scene came on in the horror section, which I was just steaming through to get to the comedy. And these people were diving out of their seats. They were jumping up and down with glee. And these were like bankers and stockbrokers and doctors and lawyers. And it really taught me a lesson, which is that you, you, you don't know what the audience wants. The audience will tell you. And I just, I love this sequence anyway. I mean, I love it because I love martial arts movies and I, and I love the fact that Samo uh, structured this great scene here with a fight between himself and this poor stuntman. I mean, you know, really, you've got to feel for the guy. I mean, it's tough enough if you're wearing loose-fitting clothes like Samo is to be performing an action sequence. But to be um, constrained as he is, it's really quite something. And this is the first time in the movie you really get to see the acrobatic skills of Samo Hong. And a lot of people, when they were watching the, the film, um, the, in the Asia Society were like uh, who is this guy and I said well he's in martial law and um, this is the first time that he actually worked with a reanimated zombie second time was probably when they cast a senior hall but it was a uh, an amazing it was an amazing sequence and definitely played well with the with the Asia Society and I've always thought since then I'm kind of surprised that nobody yet in uh, in terms of doing an international um, you know act in the, the fact that now people are constantly raiding older Hong Kong movies to find um, sequences for American actioners that no one's actually brought over a hopping zombie into an American picture because I think it would work really well. And uh, there was actually a plan. Golden Harvest, after the success of Mr. Vampire, decided that they wanted to do an English version of Mr. Vampire, which was going to be produced by David Chan. And it was called Demon Hunters. And it was going to star, I think his name is Jack Scalia, Scalia, guy who was in Dallas and um, Michelle Phillips from The Mamas and the Papas. And um, for a long time, people said, oh, it was Lam Ching Ying who was in the film. Because what happened was they actually shot a few weeks and then they abandoned the production. One of the very few times that Golden Harvest has ever done that. But they shot like a couple of weeks and they decided that it wasn't working, so they cut their losses and the film was never finished. But it actually, Lam Ching Ying, who had been the, the titular character of Mr. Vampire in the Mr. Vampire films, was apparently unavailable at that time. So it actually was Yun who was um, playing the role. And uh, somebody had said to me that because uh, Lam Ching Ying had not got along with the... When people thought it was Lam Ching Ying that had played the part, that he did not get along with the Western actors and that it had been, uh, the film had been abandoned, that he had a thing, that he, he had a bias against uh, Westerners. And I can definitely say that, um, you know, from my own experience of him, I, uh, fortunately, I interviewed him uh, about a year before he passed away. Definitely wasn't the case. And it wasn't even him in the film. So this is another case of how a, a, like a story can become part of uh, like the modern mythology of Hong Kong film. And this is one of the reasons that I'm happy that we can do commentaries and talk about the films on these DVDs. By the way, I could mention it, Chan Long is done up, trussed up almost exactly the same as Jackie Chan is at the end of uh, The Young Master, which was his first film at Golden Harvest, and that last sequence. And it's so exactly the same. And there's constantly this back and forward of uh, this rivalry of ideas between... Jackie and Samo, so I don't know whether that's uh, coincidental or not, but it's certainly a little fun visual reference. But as I say, it's nice to uh, set the record straight on some issues and probably create controversy on some others. Quick mention of the, the woman playing Samo's wife. Uh, the actress's name is Leung Sutmoy, 
Um, and she just uh, was a, a character player at Golden Harvest at that time. And during this era, like the, the late 70s and the early 80s, the balance of power had shifted away from leading ladies and towards leading men. If you go back to the 50s and 60s, you know, it was really the era where people like, um, you know, Su Fong Fong and uh, Fung Bo Bo and uh, all these different uh, female actors were doing their Jane Bond, the female James Bond movies. And uh, it was unusual to have, normally the men were in, in, in secondary roles either as the boyfriend or as the, um, the bad guy. And the women kind of like ruled the roost. Here in the 70s and 80s, you really had uh, the, the leading men coming into their own. And the women generally were just given uh, thankless roles as wife, girlfriend, uh, the flower bars in the corner. And this all changed. This is probably why uh, Yes, Madam had so much impact when that film came out, because uh, Michelle Yeoh established a new uh, uh, revival of the woman warrior who had kind of fallen from grace during this particular era. Here's the great, the late, great Lam Ching Ying. Um, Lam Ching Ying was a student of Madame Fan Fok Fa in the uh, Chinese opera. And uh, because of his slight build, he specialized in female roles. And you can actually see him playing in the movie, movie Painted Faces, which is supposedly the story of uh, the experiences of Jackie and Samo and Yun Biu and the others uh, at their opera school under Sifu Yu Jim Yun. And in the film, he actually plays a um, an opera school, uh, an opera buddy of uh, Yu Jim Yun, who's played in Painted Faces by Sammo Hong, so Sammo's like playing his own instructor. And you can see there's a sequence there where he plays, uh, f they, they actually perform a sequence in a tea house from an opera, and Sammo plays the male and uh, Lam Ching Ying plays the female role. He was um, a prolific kung, uh, kung fu fighter and stuntman in uh, movies at Shaw's and then later at Golden Harvest. And as I mentioned earlier, Sammo was really looking for a role that would define him and he did inf indeed come up with the Mr. Uh, produce Mr. Vampire, which would really, uh, Lam Ching became synonymous with the Mr. Vampire series. But also, um, I think his, the finest role of his career, would have, uh, at least of action movies, was his performance in uh, Prodigal Son with Yun Bu, which is a, a terrific role. Uh, but uh, Mr. Vampire really defined him as, as I mentioned earlier, he's like the Peter Cushing of Asia. It was, who are you going to call? You're going to call Lam Ching Ying. And he was the vampire buster in several fairly mediocre sequels to Mr. Vampire and numerous spin-off films, including Magic Cop, which was like a modern-day version in which uh, his character is like uh, brought right into the, the modern era. He was a good actor's actor. I mean, he, w he, he could actually genuinely um, uh, play straight roles and unfortunately was not really given that much of an opportunity to do so because he was famous for playing the guy with the funky eyebrows who was out there fighting vampires. But if you see Ringo Lam's very controversial film, School on Fire, I say very controversial because it was banned in most Asian territories either before or shortly after its release. But uh, if you see him in that movie, um, Lam Ching has a really nice role in there as a, uh, as a cop, as a, as a straight role, as a cop, and uh, he, he quits himself very well. And um, as I was just mentioning, I mean, there was a, they did do the English language American version of Mr. Vampire, Demon Hunters, and for whatever reason, Lam Ching was never used in, in that. And he died of cancer a, a few years ago, which was a real shock. I remember seeing Samo, um, not in person, but on TV at the funeral. And he was stunned because, I mean, Lam Ching Ying was somebody who didn't really, um, he was a very interesting character. I mean, on screen, he's normally playing these very cool, um, collected people, but off off camera he he could be quite boisterous. I mean, in the younger days they used to go out and have a few drinks, and he'd be the first one to uh, get into a barroom brawl or, or or what have you. But certainly when I met him, he was very 
soft-spoken and, and polite and uh, and really had a, a wonderful career and had never told anybody that he was ailing and was working right up until um, the time of his demise. So uh, I presume he had an illness whereby you know he, he pretty much could, could live his life up until... Um, till the very end and certainly um, my good friend Stefan Hammond uh, eulogized him in the local press and said I think the, the term he used was he, he was like a hero of this life and, and the next um, as indeed he is and, and, and uh, has become a cult figure worldwide this is the uh, the classic cell set I think in all the movies of this era and there's the condemned man's last meal uh, there's this guy's called Banmajai the actor Zebra Banmajai Zebra 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 Pan and he was um, uh, another member of the, the stunt team that worked with uh, Bruce Lee and all the Bruce Lee movies, and then later went on to work with uh, uh, all the you know, films of this era. He was uh, always working in supporting roles like this. Obviously, he doesn't have the looks of a leading man, but he was doing stunts and uh, playing roles. And he's also an action choreographer. And he also, I worked with him on, on Circus Kids. And uh, I, don't, I have no idea why he's, I guess it's, it's relative to his real Chinese name, why he's called... Um, Ban Ma or Zebra, because he doesn't have any... You'd think maybe you'd have some kind of black and white disfiguring or something if you're going to call somebody a Zebra or Zebra, but um, he does not. And, uh, and this, uh, all, you always see this, uh, the, the set here with the grass, on the, with the, the straw on the ground and the, the specific wooden um, bars. And I'm not... I, I'm presuming that this is how cells actually looked in this period of Chinese history, and uh, even if they didn't, that's how people think that they did, because uh, they always have like a they always have this exact same set in the movies from from this era, and uh, it's a um, and indeed the exact same method of escaping from the cell that uh, Samo is about to employ, which is probably the most uh, used device and or plot contrivance in the history of action cinema, is a guy gets locked into a cell and uh, then pretends to be sick and then when the jailer comes in to find out what the matter is hits him over the head and makes a getaway and I mean if you've seen that once you've seen it uh, 10,000 times <laughs> at least in, uh, in Shanghai Noon they make reference to that and they came up with a really clever way to get them out of a cell and uh, we, I was just working on the movie Highbinders with Jackie Chan and Lee Evans in, in Ireland. And we also had them in a cell in one scene. And you have the challenge of how do you get somebody out of a cell without resorting to, oh, my God, my stomach hurts. And, uh, and here, even, like, <laughs> it's not going to work for Samo either. So he's like, um, even at this stage, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't use that to, to good effect to, to make your escape. I, um, you, Samo, uh, his characters in the film... He always has to strike this balance between somebody who's the underdog and the simpleton with somebody with, obviously, his incredible physical prowess. And, uh, and he, he really uh, plays it quite well. And uh, here's a good example of that, where you see uh, th these fellas think that uh, he's getting, <laughs> getting himself uh, beat up by the guards, and actually the, the reverse is happening, and he's going to make his escape. We, um, it's really quite a technical exercise that they can have that shoe attached to the back of his uh, jacket for the whole movie. Because uh, you, you notice there's always these things like uh, they use duct tape to keep Samo's pants up. I mean, that's enough of an accomplishment, let alone that you've got to have a shoe tied to the back of his jacket. And I, I, you know, one thing about Samo in action when he's fighting in a movie is that you never have any doubt, or I don't anyway, that if you were standing there where the stuntman or the, the guy on the receiving end is standing and he hit you, you would fall down, you would get knocked out. I mean, the one element to Samo's... Uh, obviously, he has this incredible physicality, 
and gymnastic skill from his days in the opera. But one element that he brings to it that not all of those guys have is power. That he's probably one of the most powerful fighters on screen. I remember watching uh, a movie. Somebody said to me, oh, you check out this film. You know, you're going to see uh, the real stick fighting. I won't mention the guy's name, but he was like a real life and a very good real life martial arts exponent and a master of very different different styles of Filipino stick fighting. And I watched the film, and even though technically, classically, the movements were correct, um, it was just was not the best you'd ever. See. It didn't look like didn't look powerful on on screen. And uh, and I said to uh, this person, I said, you know what, you know, you definitely have the real ability in the real world, but film is different. If you want to see the stick on film, you should look at. Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon, or take a look at the scene in in, in uh, Shanghai Express when Samo comes out the front of the hotel with these two sticks and just slam bang. That is the stick on screen. This is a you know a, a wonderful comic sequence. This uh, rotted corpse, and uh, it's I think it's uh, Wu Ma actually under the all the makeup because if you look at the face closely, obviously the part's uncredited. And uh, I asked Samo, and hell, he couldn't remember. I mean, hell, he's only done like 200 movies. But I think maybe it's Wu Ma under, uh, under the makeup. There's something about the way he moves and, and acts. Because it's more of an acting than an action role because they don't uh, actually have this particular rotting corpse doing, doing anything um, spectacular. You notice this one's not actually dressed in the Mandarin robe. So this is obviously a pauper's grave, um, uh, a run-down uh, form, a burnt-down... Burnt um, uh, crematorium, or not crematorium, but like a, uh, a place where corpses and the coffins are stored. And here we really see Courageous Jung. I mean, would you lie down and sleep next to a badly decayed corpse? I mean, you know, I think I'd be out in the woods rather than lying there. And uh, this is another example of another of Samo's great strengths as a filmmaker is that he has a great sense for visual comedy, for, for silent comedy. And uh, this sequence is not obviously an action film sequence that we're going to see, but it refers back to this idea that in, the, in Chinese culture that you can uh, be in a situation where your spirit's energy is used to reanimate a dead body. And we saw the serious version of that earlier, well, the semi-serious version of it, with uh, the evil wizard animating the, the vampire that was going to fight with Samo. And now we have this uh, sequence here where Samo's in like a dream state and uh, from this physical contact with the corpse, his spirit reanimates the body. Um, this disgusting, rotting worm-infested corpse. I mean, uh, this is obviously very primitive makeup, but it's really actually quite effective in that you look at it and you just get, I would not sleep next to um, a creature that looked quite like this. And now you have this uh, uh, game of, <laughs> of uh, uh, follow the leader, as Simon says, where this uh, rotting corpse, this really is more of a zombie than a vampire because uh, he doesn't even... Uh, behave like the, the, the hopping zombie that we saw earlier because I guess this corpse has not been prepared in the same manner that the, uh, that the Kung Si would be. So he's following Samo's every move. Um, I uh, always uh, admire Samo's ability to look at uh, elements of society or elements of culture and then find imaginative ways to, to reinterpret them. And also the use of camera. I mean, you know, unless these overhead shots are really nice to establish the physical relationship between the, the two figures. And uh, he's somebody who, um, you know, you can't really say enough about his, his ability in terms of every aspect of filmmaking, whether it's 
conceiving a new concept, finding new talent, choreographing the action, um, supervising the cinematography of the films in which he's involved. And when I look back at many of the movies that he's credited on, the Golden Harvest films, I mean, he seems to be credited on every Golden Harvest movie or action, even the semi, even the comedies of this era, he gets a credit as action coordinator. You, you really wonder how much influence he had. Because please bear in mind that in Hong Kong during this era, if you had a movie with action scenes, when the action director came on the set, the, the main unit director, the, the director of credit, would maybe not even be there. And it's constantly been a problem in Hong Kong film history that uh, at the end of the day when the editor was cutting the movie together, you'd have um, scenes shot by the first unit director and scenes shot by the action unit, and they wouldn't necessarily match up. And uh, this great uh, reaction shot here from uh, courageous Jung as he realizes that he's, uh, he's inadvertently brought this decaying creature back to life. And uh, the, the sight gag that follows always gets a big laugh. And uh, it's, again, another example of how if you can make your humor visual, then you can, you can cross over into different markets. And uh, that's one reason that people like Samo and Jackie, who are really essentially physical comedians, have traveled in the way that Michael Hoy did not travel. I mean, Michael Hoy was a huge comic star in Asia, um, kind of a predecessor of Stephen Chow Singchi, and he didn't travel basically because so much of his humor was really based on um, verbal humor, which is, um, you know, obviously for Western audiences, the Cantonese plays on words would not travel. And to a certain extent, Stephen Chow, Chow Singchi, has had the same problem. Um, and uh, just now, his film... Shaolin Soccer, Siulam Juktao, which is not, which is a very visual film, has been picked up by Miramax, and I think I hope it will, you know, give him a chance to get into the uh, overseas market. Uh, this always gets a big laugh. The uh, that the this uh, the the here he goes, he's thrown it, he looked boom, great timing, and then down, and it's got that punchline. <laughs> that is something. That is something. I I think probably a, a rotting corpse hitting the leading man on the head and in the groin with a brick is something that you will not see in a American horror movie anytime soon. And uh, it's, uh, I can't believe he, he's prepared now still to lie down next to the reanimated corpse. And the black cat, and this means trouble. A black cat coming across your path has a different connotation. You notice, actually, if you look at the facial construction, there's a different guy in the zombie outfit as soon as the bla after the black cat goes past. Because now it, he, is doing action. So... Um, if it was indeed Wumar, as I believe it was, playing the zombie in the early scene. This is actually quite nice, uh, the way that uh, they set this up, the, the movement, the sense of movement through the wood, and uh, the way that they introduce um, the Lam Ching Ying character at the, at the end of the trail. Because uh, there's actually not much ground covered, but a terrific sense of movement. And, uh, and I like the reaction. And Lam Ching Ying's playing of the whole character, this kind of um, super cool uh, crime inspector, who uh, is actually in front of his men and must never lose face, but in reality is uh, not really prepared to deal with the kind of supernatural creatures that he's encountering in this neighborhood. So some are barreling towards him. And great editing here to set the scene up. Pulls out the double swords, boom, 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 boom. Timing, cut back, there's the movement, real sense of motion, and they're looking. They see the zombie before their leader does. They're like, we're out of here. Boom, they're back. And he's like, what the hell's with you guys? He's the really the guy who's not, yeah, who's who's not uh, caught up with the plot. And bomb, cheek to cheek with uh, the dead man walking, and 
it's uh, the comic the comic flair of that character is is, is is a lot of fun to watch and and makes us realize what a lost lamb Ching was to Hong Kong action cinema because not only was he a terrific martial arts exponent as we, we get to see a little bit of that in this film um, but he's also a fine actor to boot and never better than when he's directed by Sammo like many people from this era I mean they just did never look as good as when Sammo Hong was directing them uh, speaking of Sammo's discoveries um, Yun Biu was actually one of the stunt team on this movie, one of the action choreographers, and uh, he did uh, some stunt doubling and also uh, helping uh, choreograph the action scenes. And um, people always ask about that, you know, how um, wh when they hire an action choreographer from Hong Kong, why there's always a team of four or five guys with them? Why doesn't the choreographer just come in and use, um, if he's working in the overseas market, maybe he would use just the local stuntmen. And the way it works in Hong Kong is that the team would actually bounce ideas back and forward with the action coordinator and would be needed to actually um, demonstrate the movements for the actors involved. And so you always had to have, in order to construct these kind of three-dimensional action sequences that you need in a, um, a Hong Kong-style action film, you need a you know, a group of people, maybe five people, which would be um, an ideal lineup of uh, stuntmen with various uh, physical attributes to help choreograph the sequence with the coordinator. And the coordinator himself couldn't just come up as one person on the set. And that's why you always have, like, with Yun Wuping, you had all his brothers, the Yun Garban, because they can balance ideas back a, a, around each other. And that's how they get to be um, better than, uh, you know, a person working by themselves. This location, interesting to see these two guys in this location, this is the exact same uh, location, at least in terms of structure and shape, as the, uh, the great, the, um, sem the uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the morgue, or the, the place where bodies are stored in Magnificent Butcher, where there's a fight sequence between those two people, um, between Sammo Hong and Zhang Fat, and um, the layout is exactly the same and it is indeed uh, the same set as uh, they fight in in that movie. And here they are playing very different characters in uh, in Spooky Encounters. In that movie, the character Chung Fat played is like this mad cat fight, cat style fighting um, martial arts hitman, and uh, Samo is Lam Sai Wing. This is uh, another chance for us to see the great comic timing of Lam Ching Ying, because um, Samo will always look uh, as a director for the twist to the character, like in, in the case of um, Chong Fat, you've got this guy who, even though he is good-hearted, even though he's actually a good wizard, is highly eccentric and, and off the wall and, and slightly screwball. And then at the same time, you've got this guy played by Lam Ching Ying, who could be uh, just a regular um, tight-ass, you know, by-the-book um, police inspector of this era. But actually, <coughs> we managed to see that he's actually playing to his, uh, his subordinate officers this, this role of being um, this completely fearless and um, totally uh, this guy who knows no fear, who uh, whatever, whatever obstacle they're scared, whatever they're scared of, he can you know, face it resolutely. And here we have this sequence where they, they're meant to go and check a coffin and actually open up and look at the dead body inside. And they, th th these four guys actually have the real proper reaction that any sane person should have about opening up a Chinese coffin and looking at a de decaying corpse. And uh, it, it's an example of Samo's comic timing there as he sets it up and then we're ready, ready to, <laughs> to uh, see this horrific sight inside the coffin. Of course, the audience knows that Samo's hiding inside, but he's setting it up. And I just think this is inspired because now 
um, the police inspectors, he, he can't not open the coffin lid. But at the same time, he the last thing he wants to do is to look at or smell this supposedly decaying body inside. So you have this wonderful sight gag. And again, it's something that travels very well. It always gets a big laugh. And I've seen the film play uh, different audiences around the world. And um, you know, compared to the rather uh, tame response it got at Cannes, it's now become a cult favorite and uh, plays very well. Something I learned, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when I showed scenes from it to the, the Asia Society. And the, there's a certain house style to the Golden Harvest films of this era, partly because they used a rotating cast uh, in front of and behind the camera. They had a really limited talent pool of, um, of performers and cinematographers and lighting men and uh, you know all the technical crew. But also, they always had very limited space at Golden Harvest in terms of the sound stages. I mean, sound stage is kind of a misnomer because they've hardly ever recorded sound. Uh, in the in the films that were made there during the 70s and the 80s, and uh, so you um, you tended to see the same, but you s tended to see the same um, configuration again and again because there was limited space and, and limited time to redress the sets. So some fairly uh, minimal redressing went on from one film to the other, and uh, so that's why if you see a lot of these films, as as I have. For, for my sins, um, you tend to know which studio is which and which um, which films were being shot back to back by the fact that you're seeing the same sets. And the shoe makes its reappearance, and uh, here we are actually out in the new territories in Hong Kong. Something I should mention, you know, that you get this uh, impression from watching films that Hong Kong is a complete, you know, urban jungle. And in reality, there is an amazing amount of countryside up towards the new territories, towards China. Uh, in Hong Kong uh, movies of this era, you always see two kinds of tea houses. There is the the urban tea house, uh, which is uh, in you know the the, the built-up area in the town or city of the period, and that basically serves the tradesmen and the people living there. And you get this kind of tea house, which is out in the countryside, and it's really um, I would say slightly lower class, and it's for the workers, for the field workers, for people who are working in the countryside and didn't have the the time or the energy to go into town. So somebody would set up a tea house um, out there in the sticks. And the one thing that uh, uh, is true of the, the tea house in town or the tea house in the country in a kung fu movie is there will be a fight. Nobody goes there just to have tea. And um, kung fu films had kind of fallen from favor at the time uh, Samo made Spook Encounters 2. And there's a great line when they actually go, they actually re have a tea house that's similar to the old uh, tea houses and in, in the old town tea houses of these films. And uh, somebody says, hey, back in business, you know, business is brisk. That having not been a tea house fight for, for a long time, even though it was like a, one had been a staple of uh, Kung Fu cinema. And here's our Evil Dead moment. People always make a lot of this, you know, hey, you know, Sam Raimi or so-and-so, they took this idea. Now, I don't know if Sam Raimi had even seen Spooky Encounters before he made um, Evil Dead 2. And, uh, you know, he had uh, Bruce Campbell's, uh, hand, uh, his arm becoming possessed and you know, having a life of his own. But um, yeah, he's a big Hong Kong film fan. It's, possibly, it's possible that he did. I don't see anything wrong with him taking that idea and reinterpreting it in a totally new concept. Because, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, um, Samo certainly had taken uh, ideas and still takes ideas and reinterprets them in his own way. I mean, his movie... Um, uh, the, the Skinny Tiger, Fatty Dragon. I mean, beat for beat was the movie Running Scared. So in terms of its plot structure. And uh, this is uh, 
constantly been the case that Hong Kong filmmakers have looked to the West and elsewhere and to Japan for fresh ideas and then reinterpreted them in their own unique manner and that's become Hong Kong cinema. So I don't have any problem with uh, American filmmakers uh, borrowing elements of, uh, increasingly this is happening, uh, Hong Kong filmmakers, uh, Hollywood filmmakers borrowing elements from Hong Kong action films. But it's certainly um, huge fun, the whole possessed hand sequence that we see here and uh, another chance to see uh, another aspect of Taoism, which is the creation of this uh, scarecrows. And uh, this is the, their version of the voodoo doll, which has become, it's kind of, I don't think anybody takes voodoo dolls very seriously now. It's kind of hokey. But um, in this movie, uh, he's used the, 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 this voodoo practice, this kind of the Taoist equivalent of, um, of voodoo to possess uh, Samo's hand and set up that whole action sequence in the, in the tea house. Now we have a throwdown between these two guys with the uh, the use of the swords, um, and they are real brothers. But it's like the old the old Star Wars thing. One of them has chosen the uh, the bright side of the force, and one of them has chosen the dark side. So you get a chance for them, and of course the handy stunt doubles. Uh, who occasionally one of them is Yun Bu um, to show their stuff and uh, the physical clash of these wooden swords. Spook Encounters is interesting among the uh, among films of this genre in that they really give so much time and energy and focus to uh, the martial arts because many of the subsequent films, I mean, for example, the Mr. Vampire series, um, the, the martial arts were really to the background and the whole thing was, uh, the focus was on um, comedy and, uh, and the supernatural, various aspects of the supernatural. But um, here, Samo, uh, quite rightly, strikes a balance between um, these, uh, the, 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 the horror element, if you can call it horror, but the, the supernatural element, and the fact that you can have you know, slam bang, it gives an excuse for really amazing slam bang martial arts fight sequences. And um, it's a good mix. And uh, I think the, reality, the, the reason why, they, they, maybe, they maybe would say otherwise, but the reason why a lot of Hong Kong filmmakers and even American filmmakers shy away from doing long, complicated action scenes in favor of comedy or horror or special effects is that they that those things are easier to do that actually shooting to, to execute uh, a long complicated martial arts sequence is actually one of the um, most difficult accomplishments of filmmaking and people uh, worldwide I mean it always amazes me people looking down their nose at Hong Kong action filmmaking because I think most Hong Kong action filmmakers if given two people sitting around a kitchen table and they've got to shoot a dramatic sequence could shoot a pretty good dramatic scene. Whether uh, a dramatic director or drama director could shoot um, Hong Kong style martial arts action scenes is another question altogether and I would, I would, I would dare to suggest that most cannot. This is um, I think one of the, the high points of Samo's career as a screen fighter. Um, and for people who are not really familiar with his work, uh, people always say to me, oh, you know, it's amazing, a big guy like that, moving like he does. But, of course, his, um, the saving grace of Samo is the fact that he had learned many of these physical movements when he was more reg built, more regular size, when he was a youngster, when he was, he was thinner in his younger days. And then, for whatever reason, uh, his genetic predisposition, uh, he had an injury that meant that he couldn't train for a while, and he, he loves to eat. Um, he gained a lot of weight, but he already had the physical prowess, and he never really stopped 
um, doing all the stuff that uh, he could do as he gained weight. He just kind of like adjusted his movements accordingly. And so this sequence um, was featured quite prominently in the Best of Martial Arts documentary. And a lot of people like saying, geez, you know, this is uh, incredible to see a guy moving as, as Samo does here and see him use the bench with this kind of timing. And it's just great. I mean, I was, people said to me, you know, when he did martial law, I love this, there's, there's a punch coming up here, boom. And it's like he, what makes him more powerful is the fact that the way he looks down the length of the arm when he's, when he's hitting. Uh, but we were talking about um, stunt, I mean, when he went to do martial law, people said, geez, will it work in America? And I'm like, of course it will, because, you know, all the good old boys in America, or most of the guys in America who fight or think they can, who are your audience? They have this big old beer and they look like Sam or Hong. Love that moment. Boom. He goes down there, punctuates the scene. And um, he's... Uh, uh, He's somebody who uh, really, you know, he, he is the American dream made real. This kind of big, burly Chinese guy who came to America and became a star on American television. But I certainly had every confidence that he would and could break into the, the American market if given the right vehicle. Now, of course, I mean, Sam is more focused on being a director. And I think, you know, he can probably enjoy even more success internationally as a filmmaker than he can uh, as an action star. Here's uh, Chung Fat's character coming to the rescue of Samo. And a, another chance for us to, for Samo to play with the character played by Lam Ching Ying, where, um, you know, even though he's kind of the straight man, we see he's normally the, um, the joke is on him as uh, these smaller versions of these voodoo dolls are brought in and uh, used to possess the, the four lieutenants. Quick chance here to see the beautiful, uh, crisp movements of Lam Ching Ying and uh, a taste of his role, of, of why he would be cast as Leng Yitai in Prodigal Son uh, by Gajai some years later. He has a wonderful uh, fluidity to his movement. But here is his character. Look how, it must have been hot, look at the, how fast the robe uh, changes color. That's something you can see that the, the stuntmen and, and martial arts actors really suffered when they shot um, both on the unair-conditioned uh, backlot at Golden Harvest and indeed in the uh, in the exterior. And there's this nice touch here, his his ponytail comes adrift, and that kind of highlights the fact that he's um, up against it uh, as he's fighting his own men. And uh, it's um, it, was, it, it was and is extremely difficult to film action scenes in Hong Kong for that reason, because of the humidity, specifically in certain uh, times of the year. It's incredibly hot, and um, you can see in the films that uh, people start off with uh, clean costumes and then within a few movements they're absolutely dripping wet and uh, there's nothing you can do about that because I mean that's just the nature of the environment. The good thing about it is I think people pull their muscles less often than perhaps they would if we were doing these films in England because um, they, they have um, the, the muscles stay looser and, and warmer because it, it's very rarely very cold when they're shooting Hong Kong action films. Um, Talking some more about the the mythology of uh, Hong Kong of, of uh, Hong Kong uh, the legends of like you know Hong Kong uh, folklore, um, the position in which somebody's coffin is buried is also a very important aspect of ensuring future fortune for the family. And there's actually a whole film devoted to that, which was uh, Bury Me High, which was directed by and, and co-starring Choi Siu Ming, who's a terrific uh, director who never really um, came into his own. Uh, he's made some very interesting films. But uh, that's probably the best. It was a modern-day movie that was um, very highly regarded. And then he was going to direct, like, a movie, I think, Fireman's Story with Jackie Chan, and didn't happen. But the whole premise of Bury Me High is that the position at which um, 
someone's ancestors are buried has a direct relevance to how their the, the, their descendants uh, prosper or do not prosper in the contemporary era. And now we have another sequence uh, upcoming, which uh, is an example of like this kind of transference of images and ideas between cultures. And again, it's very easy to look at Hong Kong films and find scenes and then find equivalent scenes in, in Hollywood productions and point the finger and say, oh, somebody saw a Hong Kong film and, and borrowed this. I mean, first of all, I don't have any problem with it um, on ethical grounds because I think that, as the old saying goes, you know, all um, filmmakers steal and great filmmakers steal from the best. But um, also, I think, uh, in, on purely pragmatic grounds, filmmakers for a long time could have felt complete freedom um, to borrow um, elements from uh, Hong Kong films because nobody would see those movies. And this whole thing here with Samo being painted with calligraphy to help him ward off the evil forces it seems to me to be visually very similar to the scene in Conan the Barbarian when, um, before the final battle, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has this calligraphy painted onto him. Actually, it's to restore him from life to, to life after he's been killed and um, you know, the, the demons are coming for him. But the, the imagery is very similar to this. And it could be two people inventing the wheel. But uh, I just thought I'd mention that. And again, I certainly don't see anything wrong with it. But I don't think anybody imagined um, in any time of the recent history of Hong Kong film that so much time and effort will be taken as is taken at Hong Kong Legends, where these movies from 20 or even 30 years ago are lovingly restored and brought back into the mass market. And um, for quite a long time, uh, it was fair game. If you found a sequence that you could borrow from a Hong Kong action film, you could uh, certainly um, do what you wanted with it because uh, the, the chances are that outside of that very the lunatic fringe like myself, the very few um, fa Western fans of this kind of film, um, that it, it was not going to get any kind of mainstream release. Now, of course, these films are selling incredibly well on DVD and available in, in high street stores, so it's become increasingly apparent how these films have been mined by Hollywood action filmmakers over the years. Um, here we see some more of the tricks of the trade for these Taoist masters. Um, just to talk about some of the weapons that we see here, uh, one, element, one uh, reoccurring implement used by Taoist masters uh, in reality and in Hong Kong films is the eight-sided mirror, or the bagua, which also appears in the film Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and uh, you see it in many houses um, today and uh, places of work in, in Hong Kong. Uh, basically, the bagua mirror is there to repel evil. The eight sides represent, respectively, sky, earth, water, fire, thunder, wind, mountain, and lake, these different you know, elemental forces. And uh, the eight sides are meant to gather the power of those uh, forces in order to repel evil. And Taoism, basically, is really all about using uh, nature to contend with supernature and affecting uh, a balance, basically. If people live the Taoist way, that there would be balance in their lives. Um, and you also get to see uh, the use of the coin sword, which is another familiar, would be familiar to anybody who lives in Hong Kong and is uh, familiar with Taoism, and also very familiar to anybody who watches a significant number of these films, because uh, the coin sword, a sword made up of coins, is a weapon used uh, by a Taoist master for um, the banishing of ghosts. And even today, I mean, there are uh, cases, I mean, I had an instance a few years ago where there was a property that seemed to be haunted, and uh, finding somebody who was um, skilled in this specific uh, uh, skill for the banishment of ghosts. And um, it's quite a pragmatic and practical matter. And in, in Chinese circles, nobody really thinks um, that uh, there's anything uh, really uh, unusual 
in, the, in, in a general sense about somebody coming in and saying, you know what, your house has a ghost in, has a ghost in it. We're going to send for a, our version of a Ghostbuster, and they're then going to drive the spirit out using the various implements at their their disposal. And that happens to this day. And uh, I think, as I mentioned before, even though we do Hong Kong is a very high tech society. We do, people do genuinely believe in uh, the supernatural. And so these films, one reason I think that they've endured as they have is that uh, the Hong Kong supernatural movies actually play to a very deep-seated part of the Chinese psyche, which uh, regards this as uh, a genuine aspect of life. And so um, uh, because it's constantly there in, in, in the real world, it's something that's constantly reflected on the screen. And uh, here we have uh, early uh, the use of these, this wire sequence here to bring to introduce these three rather hokey-looking um, killer killer zombie creatures. And uh, the mirror comes out with the the eight-sided mirror. And uh, very early use of special effects. It's been said, and rightly so, <coughs> that most of the Hong Kong movies of this era, the special effects were the performers themselves. And even though they're like master and student in the film, this is actually the only time in the picture we see um, Chong Fat and Sammo Hong fighting side by side and uh, joining forces against these supernaturally enhanced assassins. And they actually have pretty good timing together. So, um, and uh, of course, Chong Fat was uh, uh, somebody who was prolific in this era, in this period, as somebody who was very good at doing martial arts action fight sequences. So uh, you can see him in many of. Samo's films and many of the the films, even like little cameos. If you look at Knockabout, the uh, Samo's um, first film that really gave Yun Bu an acting role, he uh, he turns up at the very end of the film just with a walk on. And so I mean, he was somebody who was being used for major fighting roles and just as a supporting player, and uh, is still active on the scene today. I mean, uh, like many of his brethren from this era, because uh, now they're really not doing Chinese martial art pictures um, with the same kind of uh, volume and the same style as in this era. A lot of the guys are working as character actors. Now, this is the um, something that everybody always remembers about the movie. If they remember nothing else about the mythology, of, or rather the, um, the supernatural aspects of Hong Kong or China, is the fact that well, the one thing you learn about this film is you have to have the taller altar. The higher the altar, the more power that you have. And um, I remember when, <coughs> when we were doing high binders in Dublin, talking to our playback monitor supervisor, and he, he was describing to me this film um, that he'd seen, and he hadn't realized that you know it was Samo, who we were working with on high binders, was, had been the star and director of this film. And he, he described it to me, and immediately I knew which film it was, because he says there's a fight at the end between these two wizards, and they have to get the altar higher and the higher the altar the more power they have and um, so as soon as he said that I knew he was talking about spooky encounters because it's something everybody remembers from this finale and uh, we now have this uh, the, the kind of this is the equivalent of the gunfight in the OK Corral for these guys this is like pistols in, in, in high noon and uh, the a terrific chance to show the this unique uh, aspect of like Hong Kong culture like the dead chickens coming off the side there and Samo cranking up the uh, the altar, and so the higher you go, the more the closer to heaven, the more power you have. And look at the incense he's got burning there; he's a fire hazard. So the um, the the object here is to use their disciples as human weapons. So this is the first time that we're really seeing what we would say sandar, 
expressed in the film, Sandar being spirit boxing, which is the, um, the summoning of spirits to help somebody in battle. And normally it's the, the practitioner themselves will summon spirits and they themselves become possessed and they themselves go into to action. But there's another version where you can kind of fight by proxy and so they summon a spirit to possess um, you know, a, another person. So in this case, uh, Zhang Fat is going to summon spirits to possess Samo and uh, uh, Chan Lung is going to summon spirits to possess the members of his group who you know, have whatever skills um, in real life. They don't really have martial arts skills in the real, in real world, but they do have skills uh, when they're possessed by specific spirits. Another example there of the, the early use of special effects in a Hong Kong action picture, the Golden Harvest martial arts picture. Um, they Really, special effects, physical effects, have uh, become more defined over the years. Visual effects really came into their own, I would say, really as late in the day as uh, Storm Riders. I mean, Zoo Warriors, Suk San, Choi Hark's film, in which Sammo Hong appears, is really all about physical effects. I mean, most of what you see that's really memorable on that film was created um, physically on the set, using wires and all the physical abilities of the stunt performers. Whereas um, when you see um, uh, Storm Riders, really the martial arts is in the background. And this figure that um, he's picking up now is actually a representation of the Monkey King. Of, uh, of San Gong and this is going to be the, the first of the characters that uh, is, is summoned by um, Chong Fat to possess Sammo Hong and at the same time Chan Lung is summoning the spirit of Na Cha who is like a, uh, a little boy with a hoop who is another creature from Chinese mythology so we'll talk about the Monkey King first I mean obviously uh, I think people now are very familiar with Journey to the West there was actually a pretty mm, average hallmark film, The Lost Kingdom, in which Russell Wong played the Monkey King, who's known in Chinese as Chai Tin Dai Seng, or in an old, more old-fashioned way, you call him uh, Hong Xing Ye. But Journey to the West, Sai Yagai, is like this famous uh, classic tome, famous classic fantasy about um, the bringing of the, the Buddhist scriptures um, to, to the West, from, from basically from India to China. And one of the characters involved is the monkey. And here we see Samo's possessed by the monkey god and is demonstrating the fighting techniques of, uh, of a monkey. And it's, it's an amazing performance and, and one of his most memorable fight sequences. And um, the guy he's fighting is, is possessed by Na Cha, who um, is the son of one of the four heavenly kings, the Sai Tin Wong. And uh, Na Cha is the son of uh, Lei Ching. And this character was... Uh, seen in a lot of the old black and white fantasy movies and actually in a movie called Na Cha which was, which was the, one of the I think it maybe was the very first starring role of Alexander Fu Seng at uh, Shaw Brothers but again it's a Shaw Brothers movie so no one's really seen it for, for a long time but um, uh, Fu Seng actually played that character but here we see the, the, this, these gods being brought down into human form and uh, with their specific abilities and uh, Na Cha's weapon of choice is this hoop it's kind of an early version of that thing that um, uh, Xena, the warrior princess, throws around, I think. The, uh, and again, you know, we can say maybe Sam Raimi was in part inspired by this movie. And uh, it's part of the fun of this finale is to allow th these players to play totally different characters because they're now possessed. And uh, 
Sambo, I remember it was really funny because we were, uh, again, referring to women highbinders. We had a press conference to talk about um, the film. And uh, Jackie Chan was talking about Sammo Hong. And, you know, he says, ah, you know, he says, look at Sammo. He's like built like an elephant, but he moves like a monkey. I think probably only Jackie can get away with saying that. But certainly in this sequence, um, that's certainly borne out. You have a guy who really is built more like an elephant, but uh, can move like a monkey. Um, and actually, Jackie, even though he did a movie in a Snake in the uh, Monkey's sh- Snake in the Eagle Shadow, or uh, he, he has done films where he's uh, played a monkey type character. He's never really shown monkey boxing uh, in the way that Samo does. Probably because Samo did it quite early on, like in 1980 in this film. So there was a sense of, okay, well, you don't want to copy that. So um, actually, you don't often see monkey boxing in the films. There is a very strong tradition of uh, monkey kung fu in uh, Hong Kong. And actually, one of the most unlikely exponents of that is Anthony Wong, Wong Chao San, who's more famous for chopping up people than playing um, serial killer roles. But actually, he's a very serious kung fu devotee. And there's an expert of the Pekwa uh, monkey Kung Fu style. And one of his elder Kung Fu brothers is uh, Chen Quan Tai, who was one of the leading lights at the Shaw Brothers in the early era of Shaw Brothers martial arts heroes. And he normally was cast as um, a practitioner of Hungar or some other southern uh, Chinese Kung Fu system. But actually Chen Quan Tai, who was like, I think, the middleweight um, martial arts champion of Asia and had been a fireman, but his main uh, martial arts style was uh, monkey Kung Fu. And now we get a chance to see... Uh, uh, ha Wong show his stuff and this is a great sequence and uh, it's uh, probably um, the best straight fight sequence that he get, he's ever got to do in a film and he always, I mean he's never, you look at him physically uh, Ha Wong doesn't really look the part, he doesn't look like a, um, uh, a youthful athletic uh, martial arts master but he really does have uh, the genuine skills and it was training from a very young age and uh, was, was discovered and, and asked to work in kung fu movies. And now uh, another spirit being summoned to possess the spirit of Samo. And this is like Miss Ho, the uh, same character as a Chinese uh, goddess or a female immortal who has like a Princess Leia hairstyle. And you often see pe- uh, pictures of like the, the Chinese immortals and they will include Na Cha with his golden hoop and uh, uh, this uh, Miss Ho with her straight sword. And uh, this Samo now uh, coming in as a spear-playing uh, female immortal, and uh, it's uh, incredible to watch this, the timing here. The red vest is actually a female undergarment um, that was worn in those times. Uh, obviously, in uh, nowadays, people wouldn't find this very stunning. But in 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 the old times, even if you'd see if you saw the red vest, it was really quite shocking. So um, this is like a shield because anything uh, that's remotely um, sexual or, or, or sensual is like poison to um, spiritual beings. So this is actually uh, a protective garb that Sam was wearing for this scene. But uh, you know, I love this, uh, just the timing of this sequence and uh, seeing Sam with any weapon. I mean, Sam really is probably the greatest on-screen exponent of weaponry. Um, and, you know, if you see him in Odd Couple, which is the film fans always cite as his finest hour but this is probably okay this is his second finest hour if, if you if you take odd couple to be the best that he was going to be kind of tricky to do because you've got the um the straight sword which is a you know close to medium range weapon and the spear which is a long range weapon so it's tricky to choreograph because you actually have to keep the spear player within sword distance but uh, samo does that i mean uh, 
that's one thing that came from the opera is that uh, unlike the Western opera, which is guys, you know, big guys who <clears throat> kind of shaped like Samo, standing there singing uh, in the opera, they always had uh, implements, weapons, sequences, um, scenes when uh, spears were being flipped back and forward across the stage uh, with, with great dexterity. So uh, this was not really allied to a specific martial arts style, but it lent gave people uh, a real sense of like the the timings and the dynamics of using weapons in a spectacular manner. So people always ask, you know, like what style of spear play is that? I don't know that it's generically is a specific style, but it really reflects the fact that Samos has developed an ability to um, feel the dynamic of a weapon on screen and to move it in such a way that it will work visually. And it doesn't really matter whether this is a movement that can be used in real life because this isn't real life, it's a movie. And now we have the return of the shoe and, uh, you know, the, the payoff for this uh, bit of footwear that Samo has been carrying. <laughs> and I love that. He says, throw a shoe and he throws the one from his foot. Finally, he throws the real one. And, of course, because it has about it the, um, the, the scent or the, the, the spirit sense of Master Tam because it's his shoe, um, it can be used much akin to like a, a totem in uh, Chinese black magic. So when he stuffs the needle through, you have this kind of gunshot effect of something going through the, the foot. And, uh, you know, you, you really, people really don't have a much harder time than they do in a Sam or Hong movie. I mean, that's a pretty painful effect. And uh, the spirit leaves him. And now he's going to get his comeuppance. And uh, this real sense of rage from uh, Samo's character is this guy has ruined his life and had an affair with his wife and... And so now he gets run through with his own straight sword. And now the final showdown between the two dueling wizards, these two brothers. And this is great. Fire comes across. And then he opens up his shirt to deflect the flames. Actually, quite a neat stunt. I mean, that's not a dummy. That's a real guy standing there and doing a, a fire gag. And uh, those days, they didn't really have access to the flame-resistant gel and the other um, attributes that people had in the West in terms of uh, fire gags. So it was pretty risky. And, and in the early, days of <clears throat> the early days of Hong Kong film, people did get burnt doing fire stunts, uh, which, as ever with Hong Kong, didn't stop them from uh, trying again and, and trying again. So we have this fire gag here at the, at the ending, which is shot in the exterior section of the back lot at Golden Harvest. Um, I think you'd have a hard time doing this as an interior shot, even in Hong Kong. Samo diving out of the way. And the... Um, the kind of the Samo now finding a twist and an unexpected edge to the finale because um, obviously we know that uh, Chan Lung's character as the, the as the the main the main villain or at least the tool of the main villain is going to get his comeuppance. A pretty neat stunt there. The guy going off the the flaming flip flop down to the ground and then a cut. And as I say, you know, not it wasn't really common to see fire gags at this time in Hong Kong film. So, as ever, Samo breaking new ground, showing this kind of action. And there's enough shots here where you can actually see that it was Chan Lung himself who got burnt. And now, uh, up on the other tower, we have this uh, the typical sardonic Samo flair as he comes running forward. And, of course, you think, oh, he's going to catch him. And then he goes down and boom, you know, you find out that there's actually maybe a... a a downside to having the tallest altar in town, and he says, "You know, if you if, could you afford, could you survive that?" Boom. So it's this unique blend that Samo has of bringing 
horror and comedy together. And now here comes the wife. And this is moment. I mean, I just, you know, people remember two things about this movie. The altar and this thing at the end. And out she comes. And you have the, this moment you think, okay, fine. He's, he, everybody else is dead. He's going to get back together with her. And they'll live happily ever after. And then it's like... I don't know why it shouldn't work, and it's horrible. I mean, the fact that he's going to react the way he does. But um, within the context of this exaggerated piece, it kind of works. And she has caused enough death and destruction. But I don't think, you know, there's ever been a scene ever in action cinema where somebody's wife was dealt like that, dealt with like that for the finale. Well, that's been a riot. An odd ending, but a fantastic movie. And uh, thank you for watching Spook Encounters with me, Bay Logan. Thank you. Goodbye.